Joining me now is Melinda Gates, co-chair of the Gates Foundation. Melinda, good to see you again. Thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, so the foundation is is pledging $250 million in the fight against COVID-19. That is the largest single contribution uh, to the response to date. How will the how will the money be allocated? We're looking at making sure our whole goal is to make sure that these vaccines get out to low and middle income countries. So part of this money is going to be used on on uh, procuring 200 million doses of vaccine for low and middle income countries and procuring 120 million rapid diagnostic tests for low and middle income countries. How concerned are you about uh, vaccine nationalism? Because when I see you know, a pledge like this, really it's, it's forward thinking, it's needed, but you, know, you hear so much talk that the vaccines will be concentrated in the US, the UK, Europe will get their fair share. But to your point, uh, really it's those small countries that, uh, that will be hurt. I'm deeply concerned whenever I hear about vaccine nationalism. I think we have a moral responsibility to make sure everybody gets vaccine. If there's an estimate that says that if only high income countries get vaccine first, we're gonna see twice as much death around the world. And we're gonna have a much, much slower recovery of all of our economies, not just the middle and low income, but even the high income countries. What are some of the barriers to getting the vaccine into the arms of, of folks in those lower income countries? It's not necessarily just getting the vaccine to the country. How do you get it into the arm? I mean, we're, we don't even know. We have logistical challenges here in the U.S. I mean, with cold chain storage. How could it be done successfully? Well, you have to do a lot of good planning up front, and that needs to be happening now. But it is possible. We have a global mechanism that was set up about 20 years ago. We were actually, we are part of this. We're part of setting it up. It's called the Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization. What we can do is procure vaccines and through Gavi, there is a whole distribution system that exists out in low-income countries that it comes to the hub, let's say in Kenya, in Nairobi, and then goes out to all of the country. It's totally possible. You just have to do the planning now. Mm -hmm. How difficult will it be to, to get the vaccine distributed successfully, even here in the U.S.? There is a lot of optimism, and, and it's, it's good to hear. You know, we need this vaccine. We need it out. But this thought that you could just have the military distribute a vaccine and, and states will do their thing, there just doesn't seem to be any coordination. Well, if you empower the CDC in the right way, the CDC is completely set up to help make sure that the right things are done in state after state and local region after local region. So again, it just takes very good planning to figure out which states get it and then up for states to decide, okay, what part of our healthcare workforce gets it at the same time as the elderly and then who gets it after that. But it's completely doable in a country like the United States. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's absolutely doable. Based on your conversations with leaders across the world, is it is it too optimistic to expect half of the U.S. population to be vaccinated for COVID by the middle of next year? I think by middle of next year, you could see half the half the U.S. vaccinated because we have these two first mRNA vaccines coming. But then there are three more that are going to come very quickly behind that. Those are even easier to manufacture. And so I think you'll start to see lots and lots of doses um, available. 
Your husband, uh, Bill Gates, mentioned in a, in a recent interview that things will be back to normal or start to get back to normal by the middle of next year as the population gets vaccinated. What do you think normal looks like? What What is the new normal for corporations or you know, more broadly just for humans? I don't think we know what the new normal looks like. I think it's going to be different than the old normal, but how we do this, if you're lucky enough to have a job that you can do by screen and, and do from a different office or from home, I think we're going to go to hybrid models of that compared to what we've had in the past. I think education and schooling, I think we're going to put lots of kids are going to return to school, which would be fantastic. That's much needed. But I also think hopefully we'll start to learn some things from the digital models that were used by middle and high income kids of how to do some hybrid learning to help catch up kids who didn't have access to the digital tools. So I think there's going to be a lot of things that shift, and I think it's going to be a little bit hard to predict right now. How do you how do you expect uh, to allocate more funds moving forward as the vaccine rolls out? What's some of your thinking on how the foundation could help? Well, the foundation with this new announcement that we've made today is now committed to, we've committed over $1.75 billion to COVID tools. And that is to really make sure that vaccine that you know, we've done this incredibly difficult work as a scientific community. It's unbelievable. I mean, if you think about sitting here last March 30th, we would not have all thought we'd have vaccine here in December being given out, so approved and then started to roll out. So the that initial piece of hard work is done. There's still a lot more science to come, but now we're really focused as a foundation on how do you get out to everybody and how do you get it distributed and keep everybody safe with the right tests, contact tracing, mask wearing, and the new vaccine as its tool. Is the uh, is the FDA still the gold standard? Uh, the FDA has come out of come under a lot of fire, uh, but should could, should people still trust that the FDA will? will prove a vaccine that they can put successfully in their arm and, and not get sick. Yes, the FDA is the gold standard in the United States. There are very good people who work on those regulations and they are not gonna let a vaccine come out until they know that it's safe and efficacious because we rely on that to know that what we're putting in our bodies is safe. And so absolutely, and when once they approve a vaccine, as soon as it's my turn to take it, when it comes to my age group and my risk profile, I'm getting it the, the day I can, but that will be after healthcare workers and the elderly. Is it the other, there is a problem here too, vaccine misinformation, you, you get, you can get really go down a rabbit hole on, on social media with some of this information. How do you think that will, will hurt or, or hinder the, the uptake on the vaccination? Well, we already know there's a tremendous amount of vaccine hesitancy because of the disinformation. And the disinformation is incredibly unfortunate because it actually results in people's deaths. If you don't do the right thing, you get COVID and you could die. So. I think, you know, people do go down, as you say, a rabbit hole on some other piece of disinformation. And then unfortunately, social media then serves up more disinformation. But one thing that I do think will happen is as the vaccine rolls out and we see healthcare workers safe, we see teachers returning to school, we see the elderly are safe. I think people start to ask their doctor, is this right for me? and then they'll decide to take it. So I think we will turn the tide on this, but I think it's gonna take some time. But I think, you know, you'll start to see the tide turning, I think by uh, next summer. Do you think big tech has a role in helping to get rid of this misinformation? I, 
Melinda, I just I don't see them stepping up here or thus far. Well, I think you're seeing some of them do the right things to keep disinformation off their platform and to stop it or take it down. But I think absolutely more could be done. I think, you know, social media has has risen very, very quickly in society. And even the way it's used is is changing. Uh, honestly, it feels like in my teenager day by day and uh, that age cohort. But I think the regulations have not only not kept up, they haven't gotten ahead of it. And I think it's time that they do. You know, we have good regulations for TV broadcasting that were set many, many years ago. We have good regulations in the motion picture industry. It's time to have some good regulation on these social media platforms. Have you have you talked to President-elect Biden and his administration yet on, on how the foundation would be helpful? Bill and I have spoken with President-elect Biden, and the topics uh, not that wouldn't be surprising to you are the pandemic, because that is first and foremost of the things that needs to be done. We've spoken with him also about climate change, because he plans to re-enter uh, the climate, climate change uh, leadership on the global stage, and also about caregiving in this economy, that if we are going to get back to work, we've got to fix the broken caregiving economy for children and for the elderly. Well, you gave me three things there, so I just wrote that down. I take notes uh, quick in my uh, increasingly older age. What do you think uh, you will, we will see from the Biden administration within that within those first 100 days uh, as it pertains to the pandemic? Well, we've already seen him um, announce an eminently reasonable group of wise people on his COVID task force. And so I think you're going to see him re-enter the global stage. He knows the importance of diplomacy from his many, many, many years as a senator and as a vice president. And I think you'll see him re-enter all kinds of global mechanisms like the World Health Organization, like the uh, Paris Climate Treaty. I think you'll see global leadership from him uh, with many of the other nations that have come together to make sure that tools, COVID tools, um, are accessible by low and middle income countries. He knows that for a robust uh, return and recovery in the United States, you've got to get the rest of the world vaccine as well. Do you think that we have not had that under the Trump administration? How much do you think that has set us back in this fight? The fact that really has not been any globally coordinated response. I think we wouldn't have so much death in the United States starting there if we'd had an appropriate uh, response from leadership. And yes, I think, um, you know, the U.S. is missing on a lot of these global stages related to the COVID-19 tools. And that's been unfortunate. It's going to take some time to rebuild that. But believe me, people want the U.S. there. Again, we want to get the global economy up and, and working. Like the Eurasia Group forecasts that for the United States, we can add $200 billion to our own economy in the next five years if we get other countries vaccinated, because then you can get travel fully back up and running. You can get manufacturing and supply chains fully up and running. So it not only makes moral sense, it makes huge economic sense for the United States. You mentioned uh, caregiving, and this is a topic uh, that I'm sure is near and dear to you. Uh, you've written extensively about it. What would you like to see the Biden administration do as it pertains to caregiving? I would like to see them put in a leader very high up in the administration to coordinate across agencies because care means caring for the elderly and children. We have 800,000 people on the Medicaid rolls, elders who can't get elder care. So I want them to fix that. 
I'd like them to put $50 billion into the child care industry that's teetering on the brink right now of failing. And to, if they do that in long term, put in paid family medical leave, we can get women back to work. I believe we want women to work in this economy. They're 88% of our healthcare workers. They're the vast majority of our teachers, of our frontline workers uh, in grocery stores. But, you know, 865,000 women stepped back their careers in September. One in four saying they're thinking of downshifting. We won't get women working again. We won't get the economy up and running again unless we deal with this child care and elder care. So it sounds as though, really, I mean, this is a major impediment to an economic recovery, right? Yes, we will have a slower economic recovery if we don't deal with this uh, care crisis we have. And a caregiving czar, right? Is that what you were, is that what you, would that be fair to call that? Yes, definitely. Because that person at a high level can coordinate across the governmental agencies to get done what needs to be done. Before I let you go, I just have two more for you. Where, so if we were to be sitting here uh, a year from now, where do you think the globe is in the fight against COVID? I think you'll see um, a year from now quite a few of the high-income countries returning to whatever the new normal is and starting to make a slow recovery, a slow recovery though, but people back out living their lives and in the workforce but I think it's going to be yet another year beyond that, the end of 2022, that you'll start to see low and middle income countries starting to have full workforce back in production and their economies returning. You know, your, your, your close friend, uh, Warren Buffett, uh, the, the chairman uh, and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, for decades has warned about pandemics. You know, as you take a step back here and, and perhaps reflect on where we've been the past year, do you think the government and the globe is in any way prepared for the next pandemic? No, we have a lot of work to do. There is something called the Center for Epidemic Preparedness that our foundation is part of setting up, uh, but it, it needs a lot more financing. It needs a lot more structure to think about how do we prepare. And it, quite frankly, it needs to practice what happens, not if, but when the next infectious disease comes. And if that that preparedness is pulled together and coordinated, you are going to have other infectious disease outbreaks, but we'll be able to tamp them down sooner before they travel around the globe. You know, just based on what, we, what we've seen of so far from the pandemic, has that changed how you plan for the future as it pertains to the Gates Foundation? Well, we haven't done our post-mortem yet, and I don't think we will until we're fully out of this crisis. But, you know, a lot of our work has been set back, you know, for the first time in 30 years, people living on extreme poverty has actually gone up. 37 million more families are in extreme poverty. So we will step back when COVID-19 is over and say to ourselves, okay, where do we need to rebuild, for instance, our parts of our malaria program? Or how do we push forward the vaccine work? So we're continuing to do all of that work during COVID-19, but it's all gotten harder. Um, but I don't think we'll reassess our priorities. Our priorities will always be helping people live, no matter where they are, a healthy and productive life. I'll, I'll, I said this to you back in April 2019 when we talked last, and I'll say it to you again. I think what you're doing uh, at the foundation is absolutely tremendous. Uh, we will leave it there. Melinda Gates, co-chair uh, of the Gates Foundation. Always good to speak with you. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.